0: and we take our rightful place as the spiritually low who are lifted up by Him, that's when we find the peace. That's Matthew 5, right? That's the Beatitudes. When we're spiritually low. It's not when we're spiritually high. In our own eyes, in our own estimation, it's when we're low. When we're undone. You see, Jesus wasn't really in the habit of exalting people who were already good, was He? What did He say? I didn't come for the righteous came for the sinners. Tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get in on this a lot faster than you because you think that you're awesome. Speaking to the religious leaders of the day. Speaking to those who think that they had laid their hand to the latch of glory already and were showing people by their piety or perceived piety that they were good. He says, no. You have spiritually exalted yourself and I will crush you. However, that one there who will not lift his head to even look at me, that woman over there who's a woman of ill repute, I will utterly change her life and I will bring her into a saving relationship with myself and the world will know that I have done the work here. So real fast, before we even get into uh, the sermon today, we're going to be in John chapter 1. We'll be in verses 19 through 23. So you can start turning there if you have your Bible. Uh, We'll also have it up on the screen. That being said, what happens when we, let's say we get a really complex manual on how an airplane works, how an airplane flies, all right? I'm not a pilot. I don't really know that much about flying other than I've jumped out of airplanes that have actually flown. That's about the extent of my knowledge of airplanes. But that being said, if there's this 2,000-page manual on how you operate some kind of basic type aircraft and you literally don't even know what the parts are and you don't have an airplane in front of you, and you don't have anybody explaining what this thing is to you, or you have somebody explaining these things to you that doesn't even know what the airplane is itself, what's going to happen? Are you going to be a master at the airplane? Are you going to have a knowledge as to even how to try and start basically operating it without killing yourself before you can even get this thing off the ground? Because I've seen some bush planes before that you literally still, they're the little Piper Cubs, you still have to actually throw the, the, uh, the propeller down to get this thing kick-started. And I can only imagine what would happen if you threw that thing down and it started and you stuck your hand back in there. You'd lose an arm. You'd lose a hand. And so, if we don't understand the parts of the hole, and we don't understand how the hole works, Disaster. Here's our spiritual implication. The same applies to the Bible. If we're not even reading the Bible, if we're not even in the Word of God, how on earth can we ever expect to get to where we're called to go? We won't be able to. Or if by some miracle <laughs> we do find ourselves on that road, we're going to suffer great loss because if we don't understand what we're called to, ultimately, we're not going to understand how to live here in the right manner, which will caused great loss in the final days so understanding this and knowing it both the parts and the whole and having a proper understanding of biblical doctrine of sound doctrine of the historic confessions and creeds and and the belief of the orthodox christian church and i'm not speaking of the eastern orthodox but just pure teachings of the bible if we don't grasp that we will suffer great loss you're going to see some of those, those elements in here from some religious leaders of the day as they start interacting with John. So, again, uh, John chapter 1, verses 19-23. through 23. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he, John the Baptist, confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, Nope, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And they said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He, John the Baptist, said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Bow with me. Father, that you would attend this message, God, that you would um, lower me. Father, that You would use Your Spirit to speak here through what You have already spoken in a mighty way. God, that You would shed light on this text, that You would help us to understand Christ more. You would help us to understand, God, the implications of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how we should move forward in Christ's likeness. God, let us put our eyes upon Him, the most glorious, the most wondrous, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Christ Jesus. Father, it's in Your name we pray, in accordance with Your will we ask. Amen. So again, let's look at verses 19 and 20. John chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites, so religious teachers, all right, and then also people who were part of the priesthood, the Levites, when they sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he, John the Baptist, confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So here's our our first point, a few different sentences there. Become less, be humble, defer to the Christ. Become less, be humble, and defer to the Christ. So, show of hands, how many of us have taken credit for something that we literally had almost nothing to do with? I have. I know for a fact I have. So when I, when I think back, uh, let's go grade school, for example, when we have those group projects, right? And I was never really the motivated child to do schoolwork when I was a younger kid. It really took me until I got into college to give a hoot about education or learning. And so when we'd have those little group projects, there's always. it seems like there's always one. There's always one kid in the group who's just really smart, really driven. They've got the plan. They know what they need to do because guess what? They're going to get the A. And so little, little J. Johns would sit back and say, you know what? This is boring. I don't want to do this. I don't really care. But because I was part of the group, right? because I was part of the group, and that one or maybe that, those two kids would do the vast majority of the work, well, what happened when time to get graded came around? Yeah, I'll get in on that A. Yeah, yeah. Please, teacher. I I was yeah, I was part of this group. You know, you said I was part of this group, so you know, I I get the A too, right? Think about that for a second. We 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 all do that. We, We well, at least, Lord willing, not right now, but when we were kids, we had the propensity to do that, right? To ride coattails. I wasn't humble. I wasn't a humble little kid. I wasn't willing to fade into the background and admit that look, you know, little Susie or little Billy, they they did the vast majority of the work teacher. I literally flaked out and did nothing. So grade me differently than you grade the rest of the group. Nobody nobody really does that, do they? No, they want to take work for or take the credit for something they haven't done. And so today we we'd look at, you know, a famous person or a a, an athlete with an entourage or a fan club, same principle. They want the glory of another. They don't care about what they've done. They want the glory of another or they want the benefit of another. (laughs) They want the attention for something that someone else has done. I want you to consider John here and understand at this time he, he's kicked up a lot of religious fervor. There's a lot of people paying attention to this guy. Uh, he was doing amazing things. He was calling uh Jews and Gentiles alike to repentance. We know that Roman soldiers were coming, and they and he was at least, at the very least, preaching to them from the Jordan River. And, and he had kicked up this massive following out in the desert. He kicked up enough interest that the religious authorities were starting to want to figure him out because things were happening that they weren't used to. But look at what John the Baptist did in verse 20. He says, I'm not the Christ. Now if he said he was the Christ, by proxy, immediately he could have had more followers. Off the bat, boom. Instantly, more followers. He could have been more famous. He could have bilked people for money if he wanted to. Uh, Think of uh, people like Kenneth Copeland, by the way. Uh, Worth a Google there to see the most recent uh, interview. What was it? Uh, not Dateline. Investigative reporting. Inside reporting. Thank you. Uh, they they kind of corner uh, Kenneth Copeland uh, coming out of his private jet in a, in a in a hangar and and basically just pinned him to the wall to ask uh, how much money his new jet cost and uh, why he needed a I can't remember how many twenty thirty million dollar jet with seven or eight million dollars of extra avionics in it and he bought it from Tyler Perry, right? He so 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 here's a, a pastor buying a Ministry vehicle that probably cost about $30 million from a celebrity. And then he goes on to basically preach or to, to laud Tyler Perry for what a great person he is. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Why? Because he gets props back, because he gets discounts on the next jet, because he gets to rub shoulders with celebrities. The dude is a false prophet. A false prophet. <laughs> look at what John the Baptist is refusing to take credit for. Anything. Nothing. He's not trying to take credit for anything. He says literally, I'm not the guy. I'm not the one that you're looking for. So, th- think about that for a second. How, in, in, look at our culture. Look inward at American culture. How often... How often does our culture want to promote self, individual, or me? Like, I can't even remember when selfies came about, but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, and Christy and I joke about this, you know, remember the old Kodak cameras with the little, you know, the little wheel on that would click? And, and you'd have to wait a week to see how terrible your pictures were, Right? You know, it's not instantly, you know, they have the selfie stick and they, oh, yeah, turn it around. Oh, yeah, look, I look so great, you know. No, you had to literally, I mean, I don't even remember doing that with the camera when I was a kid. Why? Because you wanted to take a picture of what was going on, not yourself. And if you were going to have somebody take a picture of yourself, then it would be somebody with one of those cheap little cameras, and they'd back up and look through that little porthole to, you know, click the button and charge the flash. Think about Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram now. What is it all about? It's all about me, 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 I, I, I. Whatever other social media platforms are out there, it's all centered around us and how to make us look good or feel good. It's centered around how many digital, I'm going to air quote this, friends, how many friends you can gather online so that you can feel better about yourself. Not John. John. Now, he says this just a bit later, same book. This is John chapter 3, verses 30 and 31. He, that being Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So here, John is literally speaking to the deity of Jesus Christ. This is John the Baptist speaking to the deity of Christ, right? All right? And this is so important that we understand. John's saying, look, I'm, a, I'm an earthly dude. I'm an earthly fellow. I'm lowering myself, even as I proclaim Christ. And I'm saying, look, he's from above. I just, I'm, I'm a normal dude. I came from the earth. He, Christ, is from above. He's God. I want us to see this. Christ must get bigger. I must get smaller. We must get smaller He must be famous. I must be insignificant. He must be extraordinary. I must be ordinary. He must be brought into focus. He must be sharpened and looked to. I should fade into the background. Isn't that the the biblical principle? You see, it's so counter to our culture. It's counter to uh, American, uh, even Christianity. Uh, But that's because often... It's the exact counter to what God desires. Matthew chapter five verses two through ten. Again, Matthew five, two through ten. Think about our culture in the backdrop of these verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, poor in spirit, people who mourn, gentle people, people who are hungry and thirsty, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. The antithesis, the exact opposite, the counter to what our culture would say you should be or you should want for your life. Literally the exact opposite. You see, the first in our culture, what do they get? They get a trophy or a blue ribbon, right? prize you're the fastest kid you're going to get a a gold medal right you're the smartest kid you're going to get a a scholarship in a a, in a trophy the great in our eyes from our standard and our perspective are often the people who need God the most why because their whole lives most of them they've been raised up to be mighty and powerful and above And where does that cause them to look to inwardly into themselves for what they need rather than up to God for what they should have? Why should I be poor in spirit, thinking back to the Beatitudes? Why should I be poor in spirit when I know that I can have literally everything that I want from an earthly perspective with enough money? Why should we mourn when we can drown our pain in alcohol or drugs? Why be gentle when we can crush people with our words, or our fists, or our armies? Why hunger and thirst for righteousness when I can join any religion I want to that will satisfy my own lusts and tickle my ears? In a culture of rampant immorality and pornography, why should we have a pure heart? Why should we be peacemakers when we can burn down a city? Because we feel like we've been maligned in some way. Why should we want to be persecuted for the sake of Christ? Because godliness in biblical living is diametrically opposed to the world. I'm going to say that again, that's a good point there. Because godliness and biblical living is diametrically, it is in exact opposition to the world. It is counter to, it is different than, it is other than. And so what does the world do? Just like Isaiah when he steps into the presence of the holy. They vomit up their sin because they realize that there's something different there. Think about that for a second. They literally do it. What, what, when Jesus shows up and He calls Peter for the first time, Peter says, Lord, leave me. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. What does Isaiah say when he's brought into the proximity of, of God in the temple? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. Ah, Let's go even back further. Uh, Mount of, uh, excuse me, uh, Mount Sinai. When Moses comes down, his face is literally glowing. For, and Literally, this is in the biblical account, his face was glowing with the reflected glory of God. And the people, who I would argue were in excess of 2 million, if you count women and children. The people, a group of close to 2 million people, is looking at him, and they're terrified of him. And what do they want him to do? Cover your face. Do not let God speak to us. You speak to us, Moses, because if God speaks to us, we'll die. Think about that. Dwell on that. Biblical standards, biblical living, and biblical things are literally in the exact opposite corner of what the world says to do, be, act like, or think like. Because God flips the things that we have perverted. On their heads. Because if we're truly walking out the Beatitudes, we won't rot in this body of flesh and die eternally. You see, when we flip the script, we see the words of Christ crush our culture by saying things like this. Look at Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last shall be first, and the first last. Isn't that what John the Baptist was just doing? They look to him. He could have had a a position of preeminence. And he says, no, look away from me. Look to the Christ. Don't look at me. Look at the Christ. John said it. He says what? It's the Christ. It's not me. Make him preeminent. Make him the focus. Make him your priority. Make him your Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of your life. Why? Because he is, whether you like it or not. Because he said he is in Revelation I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is one of the things that I, I, Bad Jay wants to jump out and scream at people when they say things like this in their evangelistic endeavors. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, brother or sister. Let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me back up for a second and say let's get back to the Bible for a second. I want you to understand that whether you love Him You hate him, you don't care about him, or you do not even know him. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. Because if he is sovereign, which the Bible clearly asserts that he is, if he is sovereign, then he is over all things, even your wicked heart with your free will against him. So don't give me that evangelistic garbage that you can just come and make Him the Lord of your life. He is. Whether or not you will bow your knee to Him in this life is the question. Because the question is not, will you bow your knee to Him when He comes back seated in glory? Because He will carry with Him a rod of iron. And out of His mouth will go a sharp two-edged sword with which He will smite the nations and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hmm. When we do this, when we look to Him and we admit the fact that He is those things, when we do this, and we take our rightful place as the spiritually low who are lifted up by Him, that's when we find the peace. That's Matthew 5, right? Right? That's the Beatitudes. When we're spiritually low. It's not when we're spiritually high. In our own eyes, in our own estimation. It's when we're low. When we're undone. You see, Jesus wasn't really in the habit of exalting people who were already good, was He? What did He say? I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. Tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get in on this a lot faster than you because you think that you're awesome. Speaking to the religious leaders of the day. Speaking to those who think that they had laid their hand to the latch of glory already and were showing people by their piety or perceived piety that they were good. He says, no. You have spiritually exalted yourself and I will crush you. However, that one there who will not lift his head to even look at me, that woman over there who is a woman of ill repute, I will utterly change her life and I will bring her into a saving relationship with myself and the world will know that I have done a work here. Because I can tell you for a fact, it is a lot different when God takes someone who by the world's estimation is perfect, I'm going to air quote this, and changes them, and then they become a Christian. As to when He takes someone who knows that they are spiritually wicked and evil before Him, And when He changes their life, regardless of how much sin they have or they haven't had by the world standard in the past, when He changes their life, what do those people do? They take off like a rocket. They realize what has been done for them. They realize that you know, again, whether they weighed against society and their our idea of what is good, or we just know for a fact that literally there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves better. He takes both those people. He says, "Look, both of you deserved grace. Bo- excuse me, both of you were undeserving of grace, entirely undeserving of grace, and it was by grace alone, through faith alone, that you're saved." That's Ephesians chapter two. That's why I scoff at the conversion testimonies of people like Kanye West, Justin Bieber, Russell Brand, and the like. Why? I'm living in rampant immorality. I have millions of dollars. I have more cars than most people have children. I have this, 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 and that. And I will give none of that up. I will change none of my lifestyle. And even if I try and profess that I'm a Christian, I will demonstrate very quickly with my words that I do not know him, I do not love him, and I do not care about him because I will just look at this Jesus thing either as a new money-making venture, a new song that I can write that will make me millions and make me more rich in a way at which I can continue to curse God and live the life that I want to right now. You want to you want to listen to to what people are reading in the bible listen to them pray listen to them pray because i can tell you this when i hear people who don't know much of god start saying things that are doctrinally correct or start sounding a lot like scripture i know for a fact they're reading the bible when i have people do nothing but pray about god's general revelation what do i mean about that the sun the moon the stars the sky and that's all their prayers ever are. There's zero scriptural or doctrinal content to them. I know for a fact they're not reading their Bible. Out of the, how, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you fill your heart up with, even if you're trying to put on a facade in church, it's going to come out. When I hear those false teachers and preachers on the internet or uh, on TV or on the radio, You listen to them pray. What do they want? It's all about self. It's all about what they're going to get or what they can give you. It's because they're not reading their Bibles. They're only reading them to twist the Scripture in order that they might bilk the people for more money. This is shocking, but it's true. Jesus was in the habit of kicking people's metaphorical spiritual chests in with the truth of God. This is, this is how a lot of people think that Jesus does His work in people's life. Hey, hey, will you just let me in? I'm this homeless beggar on the outside. Will you please just let me in? No, Jesus violently wrestles your spirit to the ground because your spirit, if you are not His, hates Him. There is no one good, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. When people are violently and wickedly opposed to you in any type of contest, you will not win by speaking soft words to them. If a meth addict comes in here, uh, we've lived in the Appalachian Mountains for three and a half years, and, or three year, about three years, and we would literally have people who were so out of their minds. They walked around like human zombies. We called them that. They look like zombies. They're, they're literally, their flesh is rotting. They've picked it all off. They've, their eyes are sunken back into their heads. They have almost no body fat, so they look like skeletons. And they just stumble around. And we would have people at stop signs or stoplights sometimes just not, not even knowing what they're doing, walking over and try to get into our vehicles while we're at a stop sign or a stoplight. Now, I can tell you for a fact that when police officers fight people who are high on meth, it is not one police officer who's bringing that guy down. It's like four or five, sometimes six or seven, sometimes eight or nine, because these people become so freakishly strong because of the the chemicals surging through their body that the only way they can be put down is by force. Sometimes tasers are entirely ineffective on them. That's your spirit. That's your spirit. Biblically, that's your spirit. It will thrash around, and we may cover it up with the guise of of being a good person or doing good moral things, but ultimately that is our spirits in the face of a holy God. Jesus Christ was a brutal yet loving surgeon. He was so truthful. Think about this. Let me prove that statement. He was so truthful that people wanted to kill him. He did things like this. Uh, he He would read Scripture and say, hey, this thing's fulfilled today in your ear. What did they want to do? Throw him off a cliff. Stone him. Plot to murder him. Oh, he did terrible things like this. He raised a guy named Lazarus from the dead. So guess what the religious leaders of the day decided they wanted to do? Kill Lazarus. Kill Lazarus. The dude who just got brought back from the dead. Let's kill Lazarus so that we can try and defame this guy over here who performed this mighty miracle in front of many. Hmm. He told them their condition and they said things like this. And then said things like this. Remember the rich young man, the rich young ruler? You want to follow me, rich man? You think you've done everything good by your life, and he only quotes certain parts of the Ten Commandments. The rich young ruler looks at him and says, yeah, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. He says, you lack but one thing. Go and sell everything you have and follow me. What does it say about the rich young ruler? What did he do? He walked away very sad, downtrodden. Because Jesus Christ literally looked through him and said, this is your idol. This is the thing that you worship. It's your wealth. Now understand what I'm saying here. It's not wrong to have physical property. It's not wrong to have money. But that was this man's idol. And so what did Jesus do? He raised raised him up that he might tear him down. Have you done this, 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 and this? And the rich young ruler says, yes, I've done all those things. Feeling pretty high at that point. And then the gut punch comes in by Jesus. Then get rid of all the things that you actually love and follow me. He couldn't do it. Why? Because of his exalted state. Because of his self-aggrandizement. His pompous view of his own life that was blocking the glory that Christ would have brought to him. That's why Jesus would utterly destroy people's pride and lower them, that He might spiritually exalt them. He does that. This Jesus is culturally radical, and He's not this, soft, this soft-handed hippie. right? He's not the blond-haired, blue-eyed surfer boy in children's cartoons. He's the Christ. The conquering Christ. And I want you to understand that this man chased people out of the house of his father twice and at least in one of the accounts, He braided a whip to chase them out of the house with. That means He took time to create the device with which He drove them out of the temple. That's the biblical Christ. Because He did things like that, yet He was still perfectly loving. I want you to see, I want us to see that we must decrease we must focus on the Christ and we must look to the cross. Our next set of verses, John 1, 21-23. John 1, 21-23. They asked Him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, Nope, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And He answered, No. Then they said to Him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one, crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, Excuse me. Our next point, final point be a voice for Christ. Be a voice for Christ. Now, we, we know that John wasn't the Christ. He said, No, I'm not the Christ. Then we see that he also said, No, I'm not Elijah. And no, I'm not the prophet. No, no, no. This made the Jews pretty confused, to be perfectly honest. They, they, they heard this in Malachi 4 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's Malachi 4.5. But like many people who profess Christianity today, they were flawed in their interpretation. Think about that. Remember how we talked about the airplane manual at the beginning? They were flawed in their interpretation of what the Scripture actually meant. Like many people who profess Christianity today, they couldn't see it. They couldn't put their eyes on it. They, they literally believed that the physical Elijah was going to come back after being taken up by God in the Old Testament. They thought the guy who slaughtered the 450 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 was going to come back. They're a bit flawed and they're hermeneutic. That's the science of biblical interpretation. We see that Jesus, who is God, ultimately helps us in the New Testament understand what's going on. Matthew 11.14 Jesus said, and if you were willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. It's Matthew eleven fourteen, 14. Matthew 9, 13. But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as is written of him. So we, we, we still, that's a little bit difficult for us to grasp, Bill, so we still have to sharpen it. This is Gabriel sent by God. Gabriel the angel said this to John the Baptist's father in Luke 1:17. Luke 1, 17. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. I'm going to read that again. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But the priests and the Levites who had been sent by the Pharisees asked John the Baptist something that in addition there, that betrayed their lack of biblical understanding. It's, it's hard to catch, but we're, we're going to see it here in the text. It's really awesome. They move from, remember, it was Christ in the beginning. They just asked him if he's Elijah. He says no. Now what are they going to ask him? Are you the prophet? No, no, no. Christ and the prophet. Hold on to that. Let that rattle around the back of your head. Are you, John the Baptist, the prophet? Where did they get that from? Which prophet are they talking about? What's the concept? Well, the prophecy comes from God speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is interesting because they didn't understand the meaning of the prophet and the Christ. Remember, they asked John if he was either one of those, but they failed to recognize that the prophet, who is Christ, is also the Christ. So they basically just asked John the Baptist twice, are you Christ? And they didn't even realize that they had messed that up. That's really interesting, isn't it? Now, if Jesus were to hear this, I can see Jesus literally burying his head in his hands and crying. Here the Israelites, God's chosen people, are so focused on the wrong thing with the wrong motive that they entirely pass up the references of the prophet in Deuteronomy 18 as being the Messiah. You see that exact verse out of Deuteronomy is directly quoted by Peter in the second Christian sermon ever preached. Acts chapter 3 verses 22 and 23. Acts 3, 22 and 23. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Peter is speaking of Christ Jesus here. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. You see how dangerous it is when we don't read, know, or understand the Bible. Religious leaders of Jesus' day were guilty of doing things like that. It's also dangerous when we know just enough of it to be dangerous. This is what happens when people pick and choose what they want out of the Bible. They literally don't even realize what they're talking about. this, This is a total aside. It's one of my pet peeves. Have you ever heard anybody say I'm going to the ATM machine? I have. A lot. Did you know that it's You're literally saying, hey, uh, do you want to go to the uh, automated telling machine machine? That's what you're saying, because ATM literally stands for automated telling machine. And then when you add machine at the end, you're saying it twice. And so Jesus is face palming right here saying, look, ATM machine. (laughs) You're asking if he was the Christ. Now you're asking if he's the Christ. You're asking the same thing. You're saying the same thing. But you don't even realize it. You don't even understand it. their their reasoning becomes ridiculous. They will gnash their teeth at the truth and ignore sound doctrine and Scripture that refutes their position. Think about that. Out Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. They will betray their position with the words that they speak. And man, you want to step into a scriptural ring with someone who knows the Bible? Jesus. Dangerous dude to step into the ring with. And even if you thought you knew a little bit of the Bible and you tried to bring that to Jesus, what did He do? Crushed people with further Scripture. Lovingly and kindly. Yet He would not let their flawed interpretation stand because He knew it was an affront to God. It was an affront to Himself because He Himself wrote the Word. My friends, the reason that you have life in breath And your heart continues to beat is simply by the grace of God and the fact that God and Christ Jesus are in this. Because if we try and separate God out of anything that we do, or out of our reasonings, or out of our interactions, if we pull Him out, guess what happens? The entire universe flees itself. And everything that we know that is real would implode because everything is upheld by the power of His Word, Christ Jesus. Everything. If we try and suck God out of what we're doing, or we take this and we throw that like a frisbee out the window, why are we here? Why even be here? There's a lot of people getting killed over this book in countries that you will never hear of. A lot of people. A lot of people being tortured in heinous ways because of this book. Last country I was deployed to, they killed 100,000 Christians in less than six months and it didn't make a single news outlet. They would round up villages of Christians, they would pour diesel fuel on them, they would set them on fire. And the ones that tried to run away, they would gun down or hack to death with machetes. Whole villages of people. Men, women, and children. Because they believed the Bible. Because they wouldn't recant from the Bible. Because they wouldn't turn from the Word of God. And what do we do with our lives and our actions? Say, I don't need it. With zero persecution. Shameful. Utterly shameful. Finally, after the repeated failures of the religious leaders to identify John the Baptist, they ask him, and I can hear their anger and their frustration when they ask John this. Well, then who are you? So that we could give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What did John the Baptist say? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Here was the direct quote he alluded to in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 through 5. A voice is calling, "Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley." Then, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken so by the way that's the rock of our salvation Christ Jesus John cried out the truth guess what it cost him his head on a silver dish literally Jesus cried out the truth guess what it cost him his life on a tree after he got almost beat to death by Roman soldiers Stephen cried out the truth they dug a pit put him in it filled it up likely to his waist and then threw rocks at his head until he died If I start in the book of Matthew and I go to the right in the New Testament, I haven't even made it through Acts chapter 7 yet. That's Christianity. That's real Christianity right there. Now, I want to prepare you. I must prepare you. And I am called to prepare you. I am called to warn you. That is one of the primary jobs of a prophet in the Old Testament was to relay the words of God to the people, to warn the people, and to instruct the people. I'm not a prophet. I don't think that I am in any way whatsoever. However, the Puritans, if I go back a few hundred years, would say that teaching and preaching is the art of prophesying. That you're relaying the Word of God to the people. That you're, uh, you're explaining what God wants or what He's teaching to the people. And everyone here knows that our society is literally falling apart everyone knows wake up to it if you if you if you don't realize that you're hiding under a rock the church us as christians are on the fringe of overt persecution why because the truth itself is being persecuted secular truth is being persecuted Mark my words that the attack will start on the nonprofit statuses of churches. When churches do not capitulate to the transgender lie and the LGBTQ plus inclusion scheme to indoctrinate our children and indoctrinate our culture, when we do not punt on what biblical marriage actually looks like, when we stand up and we teach our children things like the design of God and creation because young man, you are a boy and young woman, you are a girl. When we continue to teach them and hold the biblical and biological standards that God has clearly showed us both through His revealed will, the Bible, and that which has been made, creation. When we continue to do things like that, they will come after us. That is a warning. They will come after us. will narrow their focus upon us and hunt us down. Think back to Nazi Germany. Think back. This is, this is not too long ago in a historical sense. Look at how the evangelical churches in Nazi Germany stood against Hitler once he started doing things like putting a sword in a copy of Mein Kampf at the front of the sanctuary of every church bow to the culture, or we will put you in a prison camp. Look at the Protestants who stood against the Pope in Rome in the 16th and 17th centuries. Look at the past. Understand this is why we must be a voice of one crying out that Jesus is Lord. There is salvation in no other. There's hope in no other. He's real. He's God. He's King. And He's Lord. Bow with me. Father, that we would be a people about our Father's business. Lord, that you would continue to point us to the Christ, that you would show us, Father, the deep need for you. Lord, but at the same token, we get to cry out the most glorious truth that we could ever possibly lay our hands to, and that is the truth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is salvation that you sent your son to die a penal substitutionary death on a piece of wood that you yourself created in order that you might pour out your wrath against those who hate you with their lives. And appease your own wrath by slaughtering your own son and drawing sinners into a relationship with yourself through faith and repentance. God, we are in desperate need of you in these times, Lord. Encourage us strengthen us, uplift us, undergird us, sustain us, push us forward, and do not let us take our eyes off the Christ and do not let us fault on the truth. You have promised us great power from on high, Lord. You have promised us power to fight evil in this present age, God, and they are not weapons made by man. They are mighty weapons that are useful for tearing down strongholds. Fighting against demonic oppression. Things like intercessory prayer. God, the teaching and preaching of the gospel. Christian love. Those are our weapons. God, let us be valiant warriors who are willing to step into the fray and to go it alone if it, if it need be, if that's where You call us, God. But let us always know that our home, Lord, is in heaven with You. And that You have provided a base camp for us here on earth. The church. Let us find times of refreshing and healing and growth here together as we prepare to go out and make war against the darkness. Father God, it is in your name we pray, in accordance with your will that we ask. Amen. If you will, as the deacons and deaconesses uh, start to prepare the elements for the Lord's Supper, I would ask you to take this time to um, reflect on your life, your heart, um, What's been going on in your work or your family? Um, Take this time to get right with Christ. If you have unconfessed sin in your heart, I pray that you would get that right with God. And if there's a way that you can get right with your brother now, before you take these elements that you do so, understand that there's no shame whatsoever in not taking of the Lord's Supper. No shame whatsoever. Take this time to pray and to seek God's face. This won't be up on the screen, but I'll be reading out of uh, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. And before we read, please bow with me in prayer. Father, that You would Continue to show us more of Christ, Lord, as we look to celebrate His death. To celebrate what was won on the cross. The great triumph, the eternal triumph, Lord, of Christ on the cross. Let us remember, God, to give thanks to Him. Thanks to You. Thanks to the Spirit. Father, for the blessings that we have in this life through Christ Jesus. God, not these material things, Lord, but the spiritual blessings. God, yeah, because we know whether we have much or we have little or we have nothing, that if we are yours, you cannot be taken away from us. And we cannot be taken away from you. God, that you would bless us as we prepare to go from this place. God, to do evangelistic and missionary work in Wakeman, Ohio and in the surrounding communities. Let us be faithful in that endeavor, God, and strengthen us, encourage us, and give us faith that our Savior has won at Calvary everything. Father God, it's in Your name we pray in accordance with Your will we ask. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11.23 This is Paul's account of the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it, saying, This is My body, which is for You. Do this in remembrance of Me. Father, we thank You for the body of Christ. Lord, that You chose to pitch Your tent among us, God, to tabernacle with us being fully God and fully man, Lord, that You lived the life that we could not live and You died <clears throat> you died a death, Lord, to propitiate sin for all of those who would believe in You. We thank You for that, Father. We praise You for the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 25, In the same way He took the cup, also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood, do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, we thank You for the sacrifice that was made. We thank You for the blood of Christ, God. We thank You uh, that we understand and we know from the Old Testament and the New Testament that there is life in the blood, God, and that because of the shedding of Christ's blood on Calvary, Lord, we can have eternal life. What a gracious gift, the most beautiful gift with the most precious substance that we could ever fathom, the blood of Christ. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to partake in this remembrance of what you have done. God bless us as we go from this place. Lord, it is in your name we pray, in accordance with your will we ask. Amen.